and welcome to Wrestling at Random. I'm Jeremy Deemer. And I am Adam Summers. You're here in Season 5 of Wrestling at Random, where if you've been listening, we've been telling you that the randomizer is jam-packed with more wrestling than ever before. Some 19,000 professional wrestling shows, upwards of 60,000 hours of pro wrestling dumped into the randomizer for Season 5. And when you have that much wrestling in the randomizer, sometimes it pulls really off the beaten path wrestling shows and that is certainly what we have for you today it is an episode of wwa wrestling the indianapolis based territory from 1977 with uh, we'll get to it in a little bit uh some big big stars in the main event WWA All-Star Championship Wrestling, April 16th, 1977. This show aired on television in the Indianapolis area, and we we did learn it goes all the way up to Champaign, Illinois as well. Uh, so this is uh, this is the territory made famous by Dick the Bruiser, and and we've we've talked uh, about other territories of the 70s before. We've, we've seen a lot of things in the 70s. WWA was not something, the Indianapolis Territory, not something that I had any exposure to. And so this is one of the great things about this podcast. The randomizer can just pull any show from any time, any territory, and it's taken us somewhere that's a blind spot for me for sure. Yeah, it's it's interesting in that, you know, if, if you're a longtime listener of the podcast, you've heard me mention that Bob Luce's World Championship Wrestling, uh, the Chicago Territory, ran mostly out of the International Amphitheater. That is the wrestling that my dad grew up on, and I heard all the stories about that. There really isn't any footage of the era that he watched, but here in 1977, it's probably some... I don't know, eight, nine years after he was watching. So I'm sure he was he was out of watching it. But this is, for all intents and purposes, while it's in Indianapolis, this is the same territory. You have Bob Luce referenced on this show as being the promoter. Many of the top stars of his Chicago promotion are here, including Dick the Bruiser, uh, Moose Cholak, the world's most scientific wrestler, Wilbur Snyder, who my dad used to always tell me about. So it's a trip to see some of these guys in action. Uh, in a sister territory. Like you mentioned, we fire up the randomizer every single week. It will pull any show from any time. And this is this is how we do the show. So we're going to go through and review it right now. Let's start with the, the very 70s funky theme song. Yes. It may be playing underneath as we're talking right now. It's, uh, it's not quite the all-Japan... 80s 90s open but it's pretty damn good i enjoyed this i was very happy uh this was not on peacock slash wwe network so we didn't get some lame thing overdub canceling that very much felt like it was of its time uh what also feels like it's of its time is old men everywhere on this show and that includes play-by-play man sam meneker who's ringside and we also will have bob beach uh, a man certainly of his time as a ring announcer here on this show. Yeah, let's talk about the arena as we go right to the open. Sam Meneker welcomes us to the show, and he's standing at the ring. We pull out to see that we're in uh, like a uh, 
like maybe a small arena, like a civic center, a large gymnasium, somewhere in between a large gymnasium and a National Guard armory and, uh, and yeah, a small big, arena. Big civic center armory vibes. And when you look at uh, WWA's other shows, we were actually talking right before we started recording. We were unable to find the exact location for this show. Um, the WWA archives on Cage Match are scattered at best but when you look at some of the other buildings they ran including the hammond civic center a building you and i've seen many a wrestling show at um they also ran in Terre haute uh you know anderson indiana vincennes indiana which are staples of iwa mid-south later on these aren't big cities so i'm pretty sure these were like you said uh, on the big end civic centers and on the small end national guard armories at the open of the show when sam meneker is talking the building looks pretty empty even at ringside. It's nowhere near full. When we get to the matches, the ringside area is pretty full, uh, really full, actually. There are camera shots where you see some of the bleachers. They're they're darkened, uh, like modern wrestling. They've got the lights dimmed, and you can tell those sections aren't open. Um, but the parts that are open are, are pretty jam-packed. We go to Bob Beach, our ring announcer, for the introductions of our opening contest. The Bounty Hunters, with their manager, Cashbox Kent. <laughs> this guy. Oh, my God. <laughs> we'll this stop guy. there for a second before we get to the next introductions. Cashbox Kent or Ken. It was hard to tell exactly what he was saying. This guy is something else. We'll see him throughout this match. He's, uh, in some ways, he reminded me of like a poor man's Jimmy Hart. Jimmy Hart. Yeah, exactly. I had the Small, same. Small, uh... scrawny running all over the place annoying is his deal that's his shtick no megaphone but otherwise just an annoying guy i also was uh, amused by when sam meneker kicked it to uh, ring announcer bob beach sam meneker referred to this as a team match so i was wondering if tags are going to be needed or if it's just going uh just going to be a tornado rules match uh, but yes it's the bounty hunters who as the match goes along sam meneker will tell us our bounty hunter a or excuse me bounty hunter one, one and bounty hunter two they don't wear masks. No. I have never seen a team referred to as one and two or A and B when they are not wearing masks. They're both um, not particularly great shape. They're kind of the skinny fat deal as far as a reference to pro wrestlers that you've heard before. Um, Big Tex Schlesinger vibes. Yes, yes. A slightly thinner but very much Tex Schlesinger uh, build, hair, both in terms of on their head and on their body. Uh, yes. Not quite Dutch Mantel body hair, but that was really the only way I could distinguish which was uh, the other. I believe one, uh, or no, two. Two had two was all body, the body hair. hair. Two was yeah. very body haired up. Uh, and they, they, <laughs> hey, uh, I'm offended by them. No, they they're are. Both, uh, no, they're just both gross people. Yes, <laughs> they are. 100%, which is what they should be here. They're bounty yes. hunters in a 1977 Midwest promotion. They should be hairy. They should not be in good shape, and they should be gross. They check all those boxes. They're taking on the golden boy Paul Christie and his partner, a name that we're certainly familiar with, even though I don't know if we've actually ever seen him in the ring. Maybe he's been on one of these old shows. Dominic Danucci. Which Dominic Danucci. You will describe, I'm sure, the hilarity that ensues during the ring announcement for Dominic Danucci. So 
Dominic DiNucci is well-known in the Chicago area, a uh, longtime wrestling trainer, put on a bunch of sh indie shows here. Uh, I mean, some of the first indie shows I ever went to, you know, those were all uh, around. The you, you just knew Dominic DiNucci. Yeah, I don't think I've ever star, seen him wrestle. Big star wrestler, even, you know, back then in the Midwest. Like, this is a guy who everyone involved with this show should have known uh, who he was. Very well-known. In, in fact, we're told the first thing we hear from Sam Meneker is that he's one of the greatest wrestlers in America. But our ring announcer, Bob Beach, has no clue who this man is as he announces him as Dominic Longpaws, looks at him awkwardly. Everyone laughs some help. Nervous, very nervously in the ring. He has to ask for the pronunciation. And then he says, Danucci. <laughs> <laughs> to which he go, uh, then announces Dominic Danucci. Horrifying and appalling that uh, that he did not know who this man was, as we're told, how big of a star he is. Yeah, it, it made... Can't happen. No, that cannot happen. It made this look small time. It made Danucci look like he wasn't a star. It made he was Sam pissed. Oh, he, he was, was pissed. You could just see him boiling over while trying to stay calm. Like, he was not violently angry, but if you're familiar with relatively calm people who are angry and hide it... <laughs> Uh, fairly well that is what Dominic Danucci was trying to do here but it made him not look like a star it made Sam Meneker immediately look like a geek of an announcer who has no credibility because he was just telling us how big of a star Danucci was I was simultaneously angry at Bob Beach and also mortified for him because for that's him. just oh, horrifying it's just the worst nightmare of someone having to do that job and then really throughout the rest of the match which obviously we're going to describe the action but the rest of this match, Sam is both trying to still get over even more aggressively how big of a star Dominic Danucci is and describing all of his exploits, and then also calling out uh, Bob Beach hilariously, seemingly actually getting his name wrong and calling him Bill Beach and then having to correct himself uh, and, and say it's Bob Beach, but then... Uh, subtly burying, I guess not subtly burying uh, Bob Beach as he says that Bob speaks seven languages fluently, but apparently Italian isn't one of them. I'm not buying this. Bob Beach speaks seven languages. Not buying it. I'm barely buying that he speaks one. <laughs> yeah. So the match begins. Christy and Danucci are working over an arm of the bounty hunters. But let's describe Paul Christie for a second because Paul Christie, I would have, like, Here's my description of Paul Christie. He is Kevin Von Erich with zero of the charisma or wrestling ability of Kevin Von Erich in that he looks like a million bucks and he's a guy who I can imagine everyone in the locker room being like, why does that guy hit so damn hard? He's just a baby face. Like everything he does is awkward and three times more stiff than it needs to be. We'll get to, yeah, we'll, we'll get to uh, that. Put a pin in that because we're going to come back to it in a, in a little bit. Um, you've got uh, Cashbox, Cashbox Kent jumps on the apron to be annoying. It doesn't matter. It doesn't lead to anything. Christy continues the attack. It's domination by Christy and Danucci this whole match. Christy knocks one bounty hunter into the other. And then he starts, Christy starts throwing these punches. So I assume one of the bounty hunters said, uh, Pull, pull back on these punches a little bit because uh, you, you're laying them in. And 
Christy starts throwing some of the most god-awful punches, missing by miles that I've ever seen. He's missing by a mile every time. And I'm so used to seeing good 70s punches yes. that this was jarring to see bad punches like this. Yeah, it, if you're a wrestler in the 70s or into the early to mid-80s and you can't throw a good punch, what use is there if you have nothing else? Like he has no charisma. He doesn't look cool. No. He can't throw a punch to save his life. Uh, the other thing we should just note from Fashion Corner is that we are firmly in the era of no elbow pads, no knee pads, and no wrist tape. That's only acceptable in modern times if you're a young lion. I'd give all these guys a pass because they're old. This is an old show, but it is jarring because I hate this look. Terrible look. Christy finally is cut off as the bounty hunters double team him in their corner. Cashbox Kent even gets some cheap shots in on the outside. Children are shrieking to get the referee's attention. And then Christy gets sent off the ropes, but he defies wrestling physics and stops coming off the ropes to just turn and tag in Danucci. <laughs> so weird. So weird. He's just like, I, I actually need to look up Paul Christie and see how long he had had in the business to this point. He comes across like one of those guys, honestly, to me, he's like one of those guys in those late 80s, late stage, uh, either dying territories or new territories that would pop up and last a month or two, or they'd bring in some guy who was like in his early to mid 20s, looked great in the gym had maybe trained for two weeks, and then they tried to tell you he was the next big star in wrestling, and you're like, no, absolutely not. Um, yeah, let's see. I will find out what Paul you Christie's look and I'll is. tell you what happens here is he came off the ropes, defies wrestling physics to, by not bouncing off the ropes. Instead, just turns, tags in Danucci. Danucci runs wild, and the people love it, and I love it. He was great on this comeback here. Danucci was awesome. He's throwing overhand double chops. He's throwing punches, and... Christy comes back in to ruin the fun. Kent outside the ring trips Christy as he's coming off the ropes. He falls face first. One of the bounty hunters drops an elbow and gets the pin. The bounty hunters win this match after doing next to nothing the entire time. This was such a strange match, such a strange pace. The fact that you had the babyface team with one legit star dominating the heels the entire match and then the heels just uh get a very cheap like you said you described cashbox kent doing cashbox kent things leading to the victory here i found so you prepare to be offended again <laughs> this this show <laughs> took place in 1977 it did at this point paul christie was an 18 year veteran of professional impossible. wrestling impossible 18 year veteran there are two comments about Paul Christie on Cage Match. I am going to read them both. One, Paul Christie was quite a technical wrestler and he had a brilliant physique. Unfortunately, WWE just decided to use him as a jobber, which was quite sad. A 6.0 rating for this match. The next one, is this wrestling, which definitely deserves several question marks, I feel like, from this user, <laughs> considering what he just said here. He gave him an 8.0 rating as a professional wrestler and said, quote, Christy could cut an amazing psycho egomaniac style promo, and I appreciate that. Regardless of his WWF failures, for which he can't really be blamed, uh, though his appearance on TNT is one of the most hilarious moments in wrestling history. 
So we need to find Paul Christie on TNT. He actually just passed away at 82 years old in 2021. He wrestled for 31 years. His last match, his last match was in 1990. Wow. Which I can't find because the latest uh, listing that Cage Match has for Paul Christie is all of his job matches throughout 1986 uh, in the <laughs> WWF. His last WWF match, according to this, fittingly considering a recent episode of this podcast, was against Billy Jack Haynes. There he is. There he is. We continue to be a stealth Billy Jack Haynes podcast. Man of season five, Billy Jack Haynes slash Black Blood. We go to the back, or we go to some place where Sam is interviewing Spike Huber in front of a fireplace. Where is this? <laughs> is this I don't a cabin? Know, what, but it's, this? Co- it's cozy AF. Is this I want Sam's this, living room? Where I are want we? this to be in my, uh, my winter residence. Yes. Uh, I want this to be my cabin. Uh, this is, like I said, it is quite cozy. Um, I'll tell you what doesn't seem cozy, though. Sam Huber's shirt. No. That's I, right. It, if you told me that that was not his shirt and that his had just formed in the cut and shape of a polo shirt i would believe you he is jacked he has curly blonde hair that uh, with the shirt that appears to be attached to his body his look is giving off uh definite larry sweeney vibes with none of the larry sweeney charisma none no charisma he says nothing he's terribly boring we're told he's a clean scientific wrestler uh that's that's about it. There's nothing to this. He tells us one important thing, though. In addition to uh, Moose Cholak being in this territory, Ivan Koloff is here, and Jimmy Valiant sadly does not make an appearance on this episode, but he is part of this territory as a dastardly heel. Now, last time I heard about dastardly heel Jimmy Valiant was uh, uh, Mike Sempervivi telling us about yes. it on a, uh, a recent episode of our podcast. Uh, yes, on the bonus feed. Um, yep, uh, a mid-Atlantic show, fittingly enough. Yeah, if you uh, subscribe to the bonus feed, you get another 140, 150 extra episodes that aren't in your free feed. All you got to do is go to patreon.com slash wrestling at random. That's where we have all of the additional bonus content, including... We reviewed an episode of Mid-Atlantic with a friend of the podcast, Mike Sempervivi. So, yes, we have uh, guests every once in a while over there. We've had Mike Sempervivi doing that Mid-Atlantic episode. We also had a close, longtime personal friend, Dr. Keith Lipinski, to give inside insight uh, on his time with Wrestling Society X as a an epilogue to, I believe it was our Wrestling Society X episode three uh, show review that we did. So there's some great stuff over there. Absolutely. And uh, if you're an Apple podcast subscriber, you can, uh, if you're listening to the podcast right now through Apple Podcasts, there's a subscribe button you can push right there. It unlocks all the bonus content that's already in your feed. Uh, same thing with Spotify. You can push the button over there as well. Get all of your bonus content in whatever podcatcher you choose. We should reiterate just to make sure everyone understands again, that is upwards of 150 episodes as we record this episode now 150 episodes of wrestling at random that are exclusive to the bonus feed that you have never heard they're every bit the quality of these maybe even better sometimes because sometimes better (laughs) the stuff we get over there whether it be the oddball stuff from the randomizer early on or the last half year or so of intentionalized shows where people give us you know it might be one week a mitsuharu misawa 
uh, curated list. The next week, it might be us reviewing Body Slam the movie. And the week after that, it might be an Abdul the Butcher curated list. So you never know what you're going to get over there. It's a good time. All things you can listen to right now in the bonus content. And here we go back to the ring as we've got a match between Chief Bobby Bold Eagle taking on Frankie Volwa. Okay, so I just spent a couple minutes saying that the most ridiculous things that we review are in the bonus feed. We've had, I wish I could remember some of the names. Longtime listeners of this podcast will know certain wrestlers that have broken us, particularly jobbers, but wrestlers in particular that have broken us. This guy, Frank Volois. Volois. Frankie Volois. Is the most ridiculous looking professional wrestler I have ever seen in my life. And I've been watching wrestling since I was three years old and I'm 42 years old as we record this. The build, the physique, the face. This guy is the most... uh, Gym teacher that's 70 years old from the original Wonder Years television show, pro wrestler that you have ever seen in your life. If I had to describe his physique, it's Dr. Robotnik. He is rotund in the middle. He has toothpick legs. He looks, again, like 85 years old. Like He looks like he spends his entire life hanging outside of the VFW hall smoking. This we, guy is yeah, we incredible. Call that, uh, we call that California Raisin Syndrome when you've got the tiny legs and the big body. And, yeah, he is 55 years old no. at the time of this match. This man is only 55. He's 10 years younger than present-day Sting at the time of this match. <laughs> Even on this show, it is crazy that this guy is only seven years older than Dominic DiNucci. Dominic Gucci is like 47, 48 years old on this show. And while he doesn't look particularly young, he's in incredible shape. He looks like an athlete. This guy looks like if you stretched out Beer City Bruiser, like an extra (laughs) foot, that's what this guy would look like. He is – you have to watch this. You have to seek this show out wherever you can just to see this man. Frankie Volwa. He's looking every bit – 80 here as a 55 year old and like six foot eight six foot nine this guy is a tall professional wrestler with the weirdest tall guy body i have ever seen he just puts on a front face lock to start the match he keeps pulling hair to maintain the hold punches and kicks this guy is horrible and boring he is he's the coolest thing he did was throw a kidney punch that was cool i was like all right that's that's fine but then he puts on a uh, like the trapezius nerve hold, so he's just grabbing your trapezius muscles and squeezing. And uh, Sam tries to make this sound cool by calling it a double carotid clutch. I love it. It definitely is not a double carotid no, clutch. No, um, it is I don't not. think this is affecting the carotid artery whatsoever. Um, but it, it was a, a, an admirable effort here from Sam Meneker to try to make uh, make the sound good. Again, this, as far as like a guy who was trained, I assume, and, and was a star to some level in this area. He wrestled a long time. He, uh, he was a wrestler like all over. He came from Montreal and did a bunch of stuff. Yeah, like he's, uh, 
Yeah, he no, might somehow be he's been a wrestler for a while. I don't understand. The worst wrestler we've seen on this podcast that has any actual pedigree of being a professional wrestler. Um, but we should mention also Bobby Bold Eagle, by the way, Chief Bobby Bold Eagle is just every um fake Native American yes. uh wrestler from the 70s, 80s, and 90s that you've ever seen in your life. Um He's throwing, he throws like, he fights back with like chops and knee strikes. And I'm like, both these guys suck. Oh, they're terrible. I immediately was having flashbacks to 70s New York territory that we've seen. I'm like, this is, this is that bad. No, this is worse. We need to apologize to Killer (laughs) Khan and Iron Mike Sharp and Blackjack Lozanza. Blackjack Lanza. But if you're an old listener, you'll know what we're talking about. We say Blackjack Lozanza. Those guys looked like Tiger Mask versus Dynamite Kid <laughs> compared to uh, uh, old Frank here and Bobby Bold Eagle. Frank is so determined to not take a bump. It's like watching no. modern-day Togi Makabe in New Japan, but times 10. He is just bound and determined to not take a bump. He throws the weirdest looping punches to the side of the neck. They're like sledges to the back, but instead they're to the front like punches. It's we can't describe well enough without you going back and watching this show to see how terrible uh, this guy is. I believe this this show is on YouTube, if I'm not mistaken. At the time of this recording, it is available on YouTube. Uh, Bold Eagle hits a double chop to the chest, and this knocks Volway down for the first time in the match, and he gets the pin right here. Thank God that's finally over. What a worker also. This guy, like Bobby <laughs> Fish against CM Punk on AEW Dynamite, kicks out at like 3.0001, immediately stands up like he took no damage and just gets out of the ring and walks to the back. This guy is something else. We go to the back or the cabin in the woods where this is being built. Is somewhere cozy for Wilbur Snyder. Yes! Wilbur Snyder, we're told he's the world's most scientific wrestler. And he's interviewed in front of the fireplace, and he basically says, uh, you beat the bad guys the best way you know how. This guy looks a thousand percent cooler than Spike Huber did standing in the same room. Yes, this is a legitimate star. He's got wacky 70s hair for sure, but this is a guy that's actually a guy. He's He, yeah. he is something. He's the guy, at least in this territory, in this region, that they credited with being the creator of the figure four leg lock. And like I said, I just remember my dad as a kid uh, telling me about Wilbur Snyder, the world's most scientific wrestler in the figure four and him going against the likes of all the, the dastardly heels that he references here. Like uh, Ivan Koloff and Jimmy Valiant. I want a Wilbur Snyder match. I want to see yes! the technical, everyone else is a, uh, it, no one else is claiming to be the world's most scientific wrestler. So I want to see what that looked like in the seventies. I want yeah. to see that. I've never actually seen a full Wilbur Snyder match, which is insane to me. So hopefully, whether it be the randomizer or one of our intentionalizers over on the uh, on the Patreon on the bonus feed, hopefully someone brings us that at some point. We go back to the ring for another guy. I w- I don't think I've seen a full match from Sailor Art Thomas yes. in the ring, and he's taking on Jose Pantera. Yeah, Sailor Art Thomas is another one of those guys that I remember 
like in the magazines in the late 80s into the 90s like when they'd have way back when sort of features (laughs) you'd see a picture of him or you'd see his name on like a classic uh match results card listing i don't think like you i don't think i had ever seen him in the ring before so i was intrigued and excited to see what we were going to get here with seller art thomas uh against a guy uh in Jose Pantera, who looks delightfully pathetic, while Sailor Art Thomas, when he takes off his bathrobe, that is his entrance gear, he looks like a god of a man. This guy is jacked, sculpted out of granite. He also has what I would describe, if you're a modern New Japan fan, of uh, he has Oscar Loeb body in that he's maybe six feet eight, and about six feet four of that are his legs. Uh, and he's just got a tiny little torso, but this dude is huge. Huge. I was, I had no idea how jacked in the physique that Sailor R. Thomas had. I was blown away when he takes his robe off. He's this guy, and quite the contrast to uh, Doey Jose Pantera here. They, Which is what you want. You want what that I want. contrast, 100%. And we got it here. Thomas offers a handshake. This is refused by Pantera. And then... Thomas goes to work. He's working him over. Pantera tries to get some cheap shots in, but Art Thomas is no selling any of this. We get a test of strength where Thomas breaks him down quickly, stomps on the hands, and then he tries to do it again. This time Pantera tries to stomp on ta- on Thomas's hands, but he moves his hands away too quickly. <laughs> this was great. That was a great. It's one of those things that you notice when you start watching these 70s shows. We've talked about it that, 70s into the early 80s, one of the hallmarks, and it's almost anywhere, whether it was in Japan, um, here in the U.S., even those world of sport matches, which were a different universe in terms of the style of wrestling, what they all had in common was the repetition of spots. A guy would do a spot, then he'd do the same spot again, and then the third or fourth time he would do it, it would get countered, and then the heel would go, and he'd try to do the same spot. Uh, We definitely see that here. So Pantera tries a move off like a head and arm choke, but Thomas just shrugs him off easily. It was wild to, to see to see him doing a uh, a modern MMA head and arm head and arm choke here in 1977 to Salar Thomas. He tries a single leg takedown that gets blocked as well. Thomas is just dominating. He can't be moved. He can't. Nothing is hurting him. He's dominating this match. He slams Pantera down. He hits. A couple big headbutts, and he doesn't let Pantera fall. He holds him even though he's out on his feet, hits a final headbutt, and Sailor Art Thomas easily gets the victory. Best match of the show so far. Yeah, I I enjoyed it. I mean, I I wouldn't call Sailor Art Thomas a great wrestler, but he's huge. He's got presence. Uh, He also refused to take a bump, which desperately makes me want to see uh, him against old Frankie. Uh, from the last match just to see what that would look like uh but no this was it was fun for what it was it was slow but we got to see seller art thomas do seller art thomas things to a a pathetic looking but somewhat skilled jobber which is always a nice combination um from there we go to commercial break we come back and i'm sad by the way commercials were cut out because i can only imagine what 1977 indiana Indiana commercials commercials on a on a wrestling show like this would have been like uh, but we're back in the log cabin or whatever it was. Uh, and Sam Menneker is telling us that coming up tonight in Terre Haute, Indiana, at the National Guard Armory, it's a coal miners battle royal. 
I have no idea what this is. A coal miners battle royal. I started to use my deductive reasoning as as he explains kind of what's going to happen. Spike Huber's back. He's shirtless this time, so uh, he he that answers an important question for us. Can that shirt come off? I don't. We didn't see if they had to bust out the scissors to get him out of it. I assume it just burst off because it was too tight and just completely evaporated because it was uh, just stretched that, to, the, to the max. That's very disappointing that we didn't get that. They didn't have picture in picture during the commercial break or something, so we could have seen that. Spike Huber's in the match. He's going to be in this Coal Miners Battle Royal. Oh, I have the entire listing for who's in the Coal Miners Battle Royal. I can, well, I can run, give it to you right now. Yeah, let's run through the rules that as I've kind yes. of figured out, and then we'll, we'll run through who was in it. Uh, it sounds like you get $2,000 if you win. You need to throw the guys over the top to eliminate them, just like a regular battle royal. But there's also going to be a pole with a coal miner's glove on top of the pole. So you can climb the pole, get the the glove, and use it in the match, I think. It feels like one of two things happened. Either they spun the wheel and made <laughs> the deal, yes. or a little baby Vince Russo... <laughs> Gave, uh, sent in an idea to Bob Luce, and this is uh, this is what we got. So for the show itself, which again took place April 16th, 1977, the same day that this TV show aired earlier in the day, it is Steve Regal, not that Steve Regal, the Steve Regal of AWA fame, American, not the same guy. It is Steve Regal, Blackie Guzman, Bobby Bold Eagle, Chi-Chi Rodriguez, Igor Volkov, Jack Cougar, Johnny Starr, Jose Pantera, Moose Cholak, Paul Christie, Spike Huber, and the world's most scientific wrestler, Wilbur Snyder, with Steve Regal, not that Steve Regal, uh, Steve Regal from Indianapolis, Indiana, trained by Bobby Heenan, Mr. Electricity, Steve Regal, getting the win here. Nice. And it sounds like then that Igor Volkov and Moose Cholak worked twice because they were uh, were told they were also having a match on this show because Igor Volkov came out and he was interviewed as well. He said he'll be at the Terre Haute National Guard Armory to take on Moose Cholak. And we're reminded that every territory had a fake Russian. Oh, yes. Yes, absolutely. Uh, and here Igor, Igor Volkov is 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 that fake russian absolutely uh and he he uh lost via dq to moose cholak on the show everybody everybody worked twice we had blackie guzman against jack cougar steve regal against chichi rodriguez a time limit draw between bobby bold eagle and spike huber oh sounds hideous oh that (laughs) had to be horrible (laughs) considering how bad bobby bold eagle was in the ring and how much of a black hole of charisma spike huber was here in 1977 at least unless the time Uh, limit was two minutes that match uh, sounds horrible i'll tell you what might have been even worse a singles match paul christie defeating jose pantera oh brutal <laughs> then we had Wilbur Snyder defeating Johnny Starr. And then, as you said, Moose Cholak defeating Igor Volkov by DQ and Steve Regal winning the Coal Miners Battle Royal. Had to protect Igor Volkov. Couldn't have him lose to Moose Cholak in Terre Haute, Indiana. No. And we come back to TV for our main event Carl von Krupp teaming with Ox Baker 
Ox Baker. I feel like this might be our first full Ox Baker match here on this podcast. We've seen him We've at seen some him. point, but I don't think in a full match. No, and he's one of those wrestlers where even if you've never seen an Ox Baker match, you've seen Ox Baker. He was oh. like the caricature of a heel wrestler from, I feel like, from the 60s until the 80s. He was yeah. like the caricature of it. Even into the 90s, I remember seeing him on commercials or seeing yeah. people made up to look exactly like him, screaming like a pro wrestler in commercials. He is one of those guys that if you were to look up what does a pro wrestler in the 60s, 70s, or early 80s look like, it probably is Ox Baker. Yeah, except he's more than just the archetype for all of those. He's got charisma, and Whoa. he's he's running around and doing Whoa. stuff. He's into everything. This Ox Baker's great. He's so fun. And the thing that I think, like, if you'd never seen him, and you'd, or you'd never seen him in a match, and you'd only just seen him, and you didn't know anything about him, your perception of Ox Baker would be this wild, brutal, violent, dominating wrestler, like a Bruiser Brody or something. Instead, it will get to, get to it throughout the match. He's this big, intimidating-looking guy that's like a total coward throughout this yes. match. It, he kind of, again, we're going into the most rarefied era of wrestling at random when I say this, so I in no way I'm trying to say he was as good. But he kind of has a little bit of Big Cat Ernie Ladd vibes in that he's this big dude that's a coward. Their opponents, speaking of big dudes, the team of... Andre the Giant and Dick the Bruiser. Now, you look at these four guys in the ring, and I am immediately like, these are stars. Like, we were given crap the rest of the show. Now the stars are here, and people are into it. I'm into it. What a difference. What a difference 70s wrestling is. It's so star-driven. Oh, yeah. That you get the bends going from like regular geek wrestlers on this show to the stars because the stars really are something special. I don't think like I, I'm trying to remember back through, you know, five seasons now of this podcast on the free feed and 150 some odd episodes on the bonus feed for any TV show we've reviewed. I don't think there's ever been this wide of a gulf between the star power in the main event and the absolute zeros for the most part outside of, yes, we had Danucci and Seller at Thomas, but they were wrestling total nothings in the matches. Like they had no heat. Like usually it's one of two things. If you've got these big stars on a TV show, it's a big territory and it feels like it the whole way through. Or if you've got the, the, the type of wrestlers that we saw through the first three matches on this show, the main event doesn't have any star power either. This it, it, There is some serious whiplash here as we go to this main event. So the match starts with, oh, by the way, uh, Dick the Bruiser. How old do you think he is at the time of this match? 80. Well, he <laughs> looks, Dick the Bruiser looks exactly the same here as yeah. he would at Starcade 90 refereeing Sting versus the Black Scorpion in St. Louis. Yeah, Dick the Bruiser is spry 48 years old. At the Impossible. Time. <laughs> Dick the Bruiser here is 17 years younger than Sting as we record this. What? <laughs> He's 48. five years younger than Minoru Suzuki right now. What? Krupp jumps Andre before the bell and is immediately thrown outside. Literally jumps him. He leaps wildly across the ring on Andre's back, and Andre just shakes him off to the floor and 
last. Also, Fashion Corner, Andre the Giant is wearing a Hawaiian shirt-styled blazer as he's in the ring for the introductions, and, and Carl Von Krupp jumps on his back. Andre gives Ox a handshake and just squeezes the hand. Ox is flailing around. This was tremendous. Andre then stands on Ox Baker in the corner. He's throwing some huge punches. We hear the the commentary tells us that Andre the Giant recently played Bigfoot in an episode of the $6 million man TV show. I find that hard to believe. It, to me, it's more believable that Bigfoot would play Andre the Giant on a wrestling show. Uh, we also find out that in addition to Andre being undefeated in boxing and wrestling, he has also played soccer and rugby. Imagine this athletic <laughs> version of Andre the Giant playing rugby. My God. Uh, the only thing better than that is Ox Baker. After all this this uh, punishment he takes in the corner, he again, this big dude that looks scary but is a total coward, wants the tag and Carl Von Krupp just abandons him in the corner. So... Andre has Ox Baker's arms pinned behind him. He's holding him so that Bruiser can throw a shot. But as soon as he turns his back, Von Krupp runs in. But Andre quickly pivots around, so Von Krupp nails his partner, Ox Baker. Great 70s wrestling pratfalls. Also, Ox Baker's selling uh, his facials here it, it, when he's in this standing surfboard are incredible. Andre rams Baker and Krupp's head together. All four men are in the ring. Andre squashing Krupp and Ox Baker in one corner. Bruiser gets some punches in. And then Dick the Bruiser officially tags in, and he goes to work on Ox Baker. He's throwing big punches. He's pulling at Ox Baker's big, crazy beard. Carl uh, uh, Von Krupp tries to break it up, and uh, Dick the Bruiser has zero interest in selling for Carl Von Krupp here whatsoever. You, you had me at Dick the Bruiser has zero interest in selling. <laughs> I believe that is the title of the uh, uh, the biography of Dick the Bruiser. A legend, a, a, a man who Absolutely. has a statue. There's a statue of Dick the Bruiser in Milwaukee, a Midwest legend, whether it be Milwaukee, Chicago, Indianapolis, St. Louis. But my God, this guy, you talk about star power and charisma versus in-ring. Dick the Bruiser is uh, maybe only Big Daddy is a guy who you could say is more of that like absolute nothing in the ring, but it doesn't matter because the fans see him as a god and he's just got so much charisma. Bad guys double team Dick the Bruiser in the corner. Andre has seen enough. And a headbutt sends Ox outside. Von Krupp still working over Dick the Bruiser. Andre then sprints around the apron of the ring to come help out bruiser this is this is agile crazy andre the giant here yeah which we've seen by the way you talked about the bonus feed in that abdul the butcher curated list that we had there was a uh an andre the giant match from i believe right around this era from puerto rico where he was really moving we also have uh that french wrestling show that we yes. did with andre the giant in like the late 60s i believe taking frankensteiners just crazy stuff uh, but yeah, he's he's moving here. So you've got uh, Bruiser sending Croup into the fist of Andre, and then Bruiser puts on a stomach claw on Von Croup. Andre chases Ox Baker around the ring, like literally. You you don't think of Andre the Giant chasing people. He's <laughs> chasing Ox Baker, and Ox Baker comically 
running away from Andre. This is great. Yeah, it's a little different than Andre the Giant uh, and Haku against Demolition. <laughs> uh, remember that one? Yes, we reviewed that here uh, as well. We get an eye rake to break the hold, and Andre tags in. He he then he's grabbing the legs like you're gonna set up to work the knee by like dropping down and dropping an elbow onto the guy's knee. Uh, Andre instead leaps and he drives his entire body onto the knee of Von Krupp a couple times. It's so wild to see Andre the Giant like just knowing what your memories are of Andre the Giant in later years, barely being able to move. To your point, he's he's got his opponent on the mat. He's holding one leg. And then he runs while holding the leg and leaps into the air and goes full body weight onto the leg. He does this multiple times, and I'm glad he did because I needed to see it at least twice to believe yes. what I saw the first time. And so we were going nuts on our couch. You, the people were going nuts seeing it live. These people were dead the entire show. This they're going nuts for. Yeah, this match and that moment in particular, but this whole match, everyone is up, standing, screaming, jumping up and down, damn near rushing the ring. This is a scene. Ox Baker grabs Andre by the hair and is attacking him from the outside. They're double teaming Andre in the corner. Ox tries to come off the middle rope, but gets caught into a bear hug by Andre. I did not have Ox Baker going Bill Watts era WCW high flying second rope. What he was going for, I don't know. Bruiser attacks Von Krupp. Ox is fighting for his life to get out of this bear hug. Yes. And he finally tags in Von Krupp. They double team dumping Andre the Giant over the top rope to the floor. They're double teaming Dick the Bruiser now. People are on their feet. They're going crazy like you described. And I'm told by our commentator that we're out of TV time. No, you did not manage this time well at all, TV. This is terrible. We, we, we Camera starts to pan out. We get a larger shot from as if we were in the arena to fade to black. We don't know how it, had, how it ended. We were... Just, just terrible time management. Awful. I wanted more of this, less of everything else on the show. <laughs> this was by design. This was, was. I remember my dad telling me that like every show he watched of Bob Luce's World Championship Wrestling uh, back in the day, again, like the, the sister territory to this, every show would end that way. In the middle of a match with the announcers screaming, fans are out of time. We got to go at least uh, like into our era, like Jim Crockett promotions. They would do that like, after the match ended and there was a brawl happening, I feel like that was, you know, you hear uh, David Crockett screaming fans are out of time here. It's during the match. Um, it is through modern eyes, completely unforgivable. Like you said, <laughs> given everything else that we had to watch uh, that here, like, like it's really reaching a crescendo. We had Andre get dumped over the top rope and then the heels keep kicking him off the apron when he's trying to get back in. And you want to see how it's going to happen, but you're not going to see it because you got to go to the arena to see how the how the big matches end. It's basically the equivalent of um, not showing the first three innings of a baseball game on TV back in the day or when the Blackhawks uh, wouldn't show the home games because they were worried people wouldn't go to the games. That's basically the mindset here. Yes. All of those things were incorrect, and I'm glad yes. that in modern times we've corrected. We've had a market correction on all of those terrible decisions. No, so. this felt like uh, wrestling from the underrun era rather than the <laughs> overrun era. Uh, favorite thing on this show for you? 
without a doubt, it's the main event. Like I enjoyed, sure. I got a kick out of seeing uh, Sailor Art Thomas. Um, I laughed um, at uh, Frank from Quebec, who is definitely the worst thing on this show. Uh, but without a doubt, it's the main event. It's the star power. It's seeing Andre do that running drop onto the leg and just seeing these people who had otherwise been bored out of their minds absolutely lose their minds. This wasn't a dead crowd. This was a crowd that hadn't been given a reason to be alive. And then they were given life by these men in the main event. Yeah, you're absolutely correct there. Uh, worst thing on the show for you? It's uh, everything about Frank, but... Frank Valois. Frank Valois, but... Outside of that, I mean, the only answer is that this ended before we got to see the conclusion. Even if the conclusion was just the ref throwing it out, still wanted to see it come to a conclusion. Honorable mention to uh, Bob Beach screwing up Danucci's uh, introduction earlier as well. Yeah, no, that that is the correct answer. That is the correct <laughs> answer because what, I, what I'm saying was the worst thing. That's a product of its time. That's just how TV wrestling was done back then. There's never an excuse for getting that, getting a superstar's name, not wrong, but just not knowing the man's name and having to ask him sheepishly. Uh, yeah, that was bad. And with that, we're going to call it a podcast. If you want to know what shows we're going to be reviewing on both the bonus feed and this show, you can follow us on all the social media platforms at Russell at Random. And you can interact with the show. If you have memories of the this territory or any of these stars we, we mentioned today, we'd love to hear about it. The best way to interact with the show is via social media. Again, at Russell at Random or via our YouTube channel. We have the video version of this podcast there. So if you do consume your podcast via YouTube, it's available there. If you'd like to watch the, us talk about wrestling, it's available there. And uh, we love when people throw comments and we can uh, have conversations in uh, the YouTube comments as well. So make sure that even if you don't throw us a subscribe over there, it helps us work the algorithm so that other wrestling fans can find the podcast. If you can, if you can't support the show financially through our Patreon and our, our bonus content, you can always support us as well by telling your wrestling fan friends about the show, show them how to subscribe to the podcast and have them take a trip down memory lane with us and all the links I described, the entire back catalog of this podcast, which are all free right now, you can go to our website at wrestlingatrandom.com. It has the entire back catalog, five full seasons of randomly chosen wrestling content for you to enjoy. And with that, we're going to wrap it up. We're going to call it a podcast. Adam, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Jeremy. Thank you, Randomizer. We always talk about shows sometimes where it's like, you know, we could live to be a million years old and... As much as we love wrestling, we would have never found ourselves watching this particular show if it wasn't for doing this podcast. This falls firmly in that category. I had a great time. And yeah, we'll see. Who knows what the randomizer will bring us next week. Thanks again, everyone, for listening. Talk to you again. Bye.